Hey, good morning, Encounter. Great to be with you today. I hope you had a great, great weekend and a great week, and I'm just so thankful to be worshiping with you today. I had a little cold earlier in the week, and it's gone into my head, so if you hear a little bit of congestion today, that's, that's what's going on, but I am thankful to be here. Amen. Can we just say thank you, Lord? So... So I want to share with you today about a God-sized chain reaction that the Lord wants to take place in our lives and around our lives. And a chain reaction is a chemical reaction or other process in which the products themselves promote or spread the reaction, which under certain conditions may accelerate dramatically a series of events each caused by the previous one. And we're continuing this message series through the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, and we're calling it Unbreakable But Broken. And today, God wants to be the source of a chain reaction that He wants to have rapidly spread in our lives and around our lives. And so let's listen to His living word today. Would you stand with me? We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, starting in verse 3, and you'll find it on the screen. You can also look it up on Bibles on your phone or in a paper Bible. Uh, but we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Uh, you'll also find some notes, if you'd like them, at EncounterLife.org under the Resources tab. Uh, but th- we're in 2 Corinthians 1, chapter, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with which the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. In those verses, you have a little affliction and a whole lot of comfort. Amen? And that's what God wants to share with us today. By the way, you know, when your pastor has a cold and he's feeling a little bit not like himself, he never minds a few amens during the message, just so you know. You can pastor your pastor just with a little amen out there today. I'll just give you a little clue. So we're going to pray and just ask God to comfort us today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, I thank you for each and every person that you have brought here today, Lord. We also thank you for those who are joining us online. And Father, it is our prayer that you will speak to us and that you will meet us today and that we will meet you and discover what it is to be a part of your chain reaction of comfort, God. And we pray this in your name and with your power, and I just pray your blessing over this place today all across this campus. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. So in the opening verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, what we find are spiritual actions that link us to the chain reaction of God's comfort. And the first action that we find is to trust in the God of all comfort. And this is how Paul says it as he's writing to the Corinthian churches and as God is writing to us today in his living word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with, we, which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We follow and serve the God of all comfort. Amen? Verse 3 is a call to praise to each and every one of us today that we would be called to praise the God of all comforts as He comforts us. And God is inviting us through His living Word to have an encounter with Him today so that we discover who He is as the God of all comfort and meet Him in that way. And what's fascinating in these verses as this book of the Bible begins is in the short span of four chapters of 2 Corinthians, we are going to see one form or another of the word comfort 19 times. 19 times. And what's interesting about that is that's more concentrated, that use of the word comfort is more concentrated than any other book of the Bible, and that includes Psalms and Isaiah. And when you think of the nature of the Psalms and bringing us comfort, and the nature of the book of Isaiah and bringing us comfort, it's rather surprising how condensed it is here. And the density is even more striking because these word forms are only found 31 times in the entire New Testament, 19 of those times are right here in the first four chapters. Ten of those times are in these opening verses. I think God is wanting us to get the message this morning, is he not? And as we begin this powerful book of the Bible, from the very beginning, our attention is zeroed in on the problem of suffering and the greater provision of God's comfort in it. And God wants us to be so overwhelmed with who He is as the God of all comfort that we're actually able to praise Him and to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You know, last Sunday we shared that in this book of the Bible, part of the reason that God was directing the Apostle Paul to write to the churches in Corinth was to defend who He was as an apostle in that spiritual role in his life. And what Paul does over and over again in this book of the Bible is he defends himself through the last thing that we would usually defend ourselves in, and that is through his weaknesses instead of through his strengths. And he's basically asking the Corinthians to praise God for the very suffering that his opponents think will call his ministry into question. And look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of how much comfort? What does it say? Yeah, all comfort. And Paul is actually going to repeat the word all quite a few times as well, as well. And by the way, the Greek word that the English word all is being translated from is the word pas. Uh, in German, it's the word allis. In Korean, it's the word mududa, which I think just sounds cool, by the way. But it really doesn't matter what language the word all is. It means all in every situation, meaning that God is able to be a great comfort at us no matter what situation we may be facing. And there are so many great passages in the Bible that speak to God's comfort. Probably the most familiar to people in and out of the church is Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. Comfort, amen. Comfort 
is part of the character of God in Counter Family. And because it's part of the character of God, we can depend on it all the time. And His comfort is an ever-present part of who He is as our Heavenly Father. And when you know your life is in the hands of an all-powerful, all-wise Heavenly Father, you're free to take any risk that His love demands, no matter what the cost, whether it be as a mom or a dad or a friend or as a brother and sister in Christ. The next spiritual action is to share God's comfort with someone else. And so I want us to think about this morning, well, what is God's comfort exactly? And how do we share it with someone else? Because usually when we think about comfort, we think about something being soothing, how it erases our pain, how it relieves our distress. Uh, if any of you have ever traveled and stayed in a hotel that's a part of the Comfort uh, Inn, ever been in one of those? They basically advertise that, hey, if you come to our hotel, you're going to have nice fluffy white pillows and soft linens and cable TV to relax to after a long day on the road. Basically, Comfort in the Comfort Inn chain is all about soothing and feeling better. But that's actually not exactly what the Apostle Paul had in mind. The word comfort in the Bible has more to do with strengthening us than soothing us. It doesn't just relieve our pain, it actually stiffens our resolve, it strengthens our resolve. Uh, one Bible teacher I read said the Greek word means to help by giving courage in a situation. Uh, the English word actually points to that. The English word comfort comes from the Latin root of fortis, which means strength. So it shows up in words like fortress and fortitude. And so comfort, according to the Bible, isn't about feeling better necessarily. It's more about feeling stronger in Christ in the midst of our distress. Verse 5 says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And so part of what Paul is saying is what God did for Jesus when he went through suffering in the world, I am confident and I can trust that he's going to do for me as I go through challenges in this world. And so the word has less to do with short-term relief of sadness and more to do with sharing lasting encouragement, strength, and assurance in God alone. Uh, there's a Bible scholar by the name of David Garland, and he's just another person in this world who's done amazing, amazing work on the book of 2 Corinthians. He has a quote I'm going to read in a moment. But I actually have a strange, random connection to David Garland, this Bible scholar, because my freshman year when I was attending Biola University, uh, his son was on the same floor as me. And you know how when you're a freshman in college, there's like an unspoken competition about who can wait the longest to do the first load of laundry, all right? It's just true, it happens. And so piles of laundry start across the dorm room, and I'm pretty sure David Garland's son had won that year in my freshman year, but it has nothing to do with our scripture today, all right? So Garland says this, he says, God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. And so the comfort that God provides is one of courage and strength that is so powerful that it can be shared. It can be given to other people as well. Paul says in verse 6, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So the God of all comfort, let this sink in for a moment, is powerful enough and loving enough 
to meet us in any challenge, any distress, on so much of a level that he's greater than that challenge. And not only that, that he gives you enough comfort that you can give some to someone else in your life at the same time. In fact, in these two verses is this idea of abundant comfort. Comfort. It's this picture of sharing Christ on such a level that it surpasses, that his comfort surpasses the trial. I think of it a little bit like this. When I was younger, my family would go up to Lake Tahoe. My grandparents lived in Lake Tahoe in their retirement. And in their old house up in Lake Tahoe, they had this old green shag carpet. I mean, have you ever seen those? I mean, like old school, right? But what we discovered as children is, I don't know if it had to do with being in the mountains or what, but if you would rub your feet long enough in that deep shag carpet, you could go up to your brother or sister, and if you touched them with your finger, you'd shock them, all right? Have a little electric volt going on there. And so we would be like hiding from each other and going like this and rubbing our feet and charging ourselves up, and then we'd sneak up on each other and be like, you know, and, and zap each other. And I think in some ways that's what God is saying in this passage. As we you know, live through the friction of the challenges of our life and the things that we're wrestling with God with and invite him to meet us in those places of challenge, that he meets us and wants to meet us on such a level that he not only gives us strength in those moments, but we can, you know, almost bump into someone else and zap them with the comfort of, comfort of God as well. In fact, I would imagine every one of us in the room today knows someone who has been through something incredibly difficult, and yet they leaned into God in it. And we know that they walk with a confidence that is not of this world, because it's the touch of God. The next spiritual action that links us to the chain reaction of God's comfort is to focus on the unshakable hope of Christ. He says in verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. And I actually really appreciate, once again, how honest the Bible is that we will face suffering this side of heaven, whether it is in the sacrifice for the gospel as we proclaim the gospel in a world that doesn't always want to hear it, or whether it just be living in a world that's been broken by sin. And none of us really like the sound of the word suffer. Uh, We'd much rather hear words like success, right? Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd rather hear that. Uh, success is what the world values. We remember winners, not losers. We remember, you know, gold medalists from the Olympics like Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt. We tend not to remember the 10,000 other athletes who, you know, labored just as much for the same event but didn't take a medal. We remember champions at the top and not those at the bottom. And sometimes, if we're honest, even in the church, we secretly value success over faithfulness. In fact, think about it for a moment. I would argue that in many of the big Christian magazines around our nation, a lot of times you'll hear articles about the fastest growing churches in America or the largest churches in America. Seldom will you read an article about the pastor who is faithful in their church, maybe in a small town whose congregation never grows larger than 75 people and yet is an amazing, amazing servant of the Lord where God's called them to. You know, we tend to remember the 2,000 who come to Christ in Acts chapter 2 and forget about the example of the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament who was faithful to his call with God and yet saw very little fruit. 
And yet he called the people of Israel and the people around the world at that time to, into a living relationship with the Messiah and to repentance uh, through the Messiah. And yet he saw so little fruit. And so we love winners and we scorn losers and we love success. But the Bible says if you want to be part of a chain reaction of God's comfort in the midst of the suffering and challenges of this world, trust in the God of all comfort, even when it seems like your trial is winning out in the moment. And share God's comfort with the people that God has placed around you. And focus on the unshakable, unbreakable hope of Christ. Paul says it clearly in verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. And I love this next phrase. In fact, I think this is that part of the passage that God is wanting to work a wonder in each and every one of us today for us to meet Him in our challenges when the Bible says this, On Him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Amen? You see, Paul and his companions had been through an awful lot. A lot. And it's interesting because he actually doesn't make a big deal about all he had been through. He doesn't mention it. In fact, we don't know what he's specifically referring to. We can assume that the Corinthians who he's writing to did know. Because later on in 2 Corinthians, he does mention a few things that he might be referring to. He mentions how he was beaten times without number. Five times he was whipped with 39 lashes. He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. Uh, that's with rocks, not drugs, just in case you're wondering out there. Uh, he, he faced dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, just to mention a few things. Or maybe it was the violence that he faced in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 when he stood for Christ and had to be rescued by his friends. Or maybe it was serious illness. We don't know, but we do know he despaired even for life. That at times, he says, it felt like a sentence of death. And following Jesus in this world will always, always bring us back to the power and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Always. Where we have the ultimate assurance that God has the power to raise us to life spiritually no matter what the situation. And that one day ultimately to raise us with Him in heaven. And the glory of the gospel is the declaration that Jesus was raised from the grave and that he conquered sin and death. And every Sunday as a church family, you know, people sometimes wonder, you know, why do people gather at churches on Sunday mornings? And one of the core reasons that we gather as a people is to testify not only to ourselves, but to everyone around us that Jesus Christ was raised from the grave on Sunday morning. That is why we worship. That is one of the core reasons of why we gather on Sunday, to not only testify to ourselves that Jesus was raised and we're called into new life with him, but to testify that to the world around us. And just as Christ's resurrection swallowed up the agony of death and sin, so the comfort of his resurrection swallowed up the pain of Paul's suffering. 
And suffering and weakness are not outside our life in Christ, but they are often the pathway of experiencing God's strength on a level that's great enough that we can actually share it with someone else when it spills out of our life. You know, you may not be despairing of life today, and yet maybe some of you are. I've only been the lead pastor for a few weeks now, but I do know that there are people in our church family who are dealing with some really serious health issues. And God is wanting all of us to remember today to focus our hope on the unbreakable, unshakable hope of Jesus Christ. There are probably some of you in the room where you've walked through or are walking through times as a parent with a rebellious child or a discouraged child, and God is wanting to pour comfort into your life on such a level that it actually can spill into other parents' lives who are walking through similar things. I would imagine there are some of you in the room who have gone through the heartbreak of a broken marriage and the sense of abandonment that can come with that, and yet God met you in that. And now God is wanting to pour that same comfort that he gave you in that difficult journey into lives around you who are wrestling through difficult relationship challenges. And if you've ever walked through the care of an aging parent, I I would tell you one of the sweetest, most precious ministries in this world is to care for an aging parent. And sometimes in those moments, we're, we're called to be a comfort for our parents, even when they're not feeling it in the moment because of all the distress that they're in. And yet God just loves to pour his comfort in those moments in ways that are beyond our understanding. Because God wants to give us strength in our places of greatest weakness today. Which takes me back to where we started this, our theme verse for this series Uh, Chapter 4, verse 7, where God says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And all the things that Paul was going through caused him to realize that he had to put his trust in God and not in himself. Uh, Last week, we introduced this idea of the ancient Japanese art of kintsugi, how it's a picture of what God does in our lives as we give our sin to Him, as we give our weights, our burdens, our cracks to Him, through His grace, He repairs our brokenness and as a vessel then begins to hold us and pour us out in those moments. And in the Japanese art of kintsugi, basically the breakage of an object and the repair of an object is not something to be disguised. Actually, it's something to be highlighted. And so they take lacquer and it's dusted with gold or silver or platinum and then they use that lacquer to repair broken pottery and the idea is to highlight as it's put back into service again that's even more beautiful than it was before. That's what God loves to do in our lives as we follow Him. His hope pours out of our lives through our broken pieces. The final spiritual action is to pray for people in need of God's comforting strength. Intercessory prayer is a powerful source of God's comfort for others. Would you hear that from the Lord today? We do not always know what to say to people in times of hurt and challenge, but we can always pray. And part of what Paul says in this passage is prayer is the fuel of God's comfort in one another's lives. He puts it this way in verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings, for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. 
And I want you to see how powerful our prayers are for one another in unleashing the comfort of God in one another's lives. And Paul says, having confidence in the hope of Christ is given through the support of the Corinthians' prayers. And one of the great ways that God loves to use us in His chain reaction of comfort is to pray for one another. And no matter where you are in God's you know, comfort chain reaction right now, whether you're that person who is just, man, I just need God's touch and I'm struggling and I need His strength today, or whether you're that person who's recently been through a season and you've been met by God in that way and you're ready to pour it in someone else's life, no matter where you are in the process, you can always, always be a part by praying for someone that God has placed in your life. And the ministry of prayer is a ministry all of us are called to and all of us can be a part of. A little bit later in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're given a great example of the chain reaction of God's comfort. And Paul mentions Titus, he mentions the Corinthians, and he mentions his own companions. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 6, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. I find this really interesting. This is what Paul is saying. He says, God can be working in someone's life and comfort them. And then they comfort someone else with the spillover of what God's done in the first person's life. And then that person that they comforted spills over into someone else's life, and it causes all of us to praise God for who He is. And it's really fascinating because the Apostle Paul sent Titus all the way to Corinth to encourage the Corinthian church. But Titus got all the way to Corinth and was so touched by what God was doing in the life of the Corinthians that Titus himself was encouraged. And Paul says, then Titus came all the way back to where Paul was and encouraged Paul and his companions. And so everyone was praising God all the way. So get this, Titus was the guy sent to encourage, but he's the one who ended up being encouraged. And he brought that encouragement all the way back to the apostle Paul. God uses people as a chain reaction of comfort uh, all the time. And we don't, do not always know how far the chain will go when we allow ourselves to be used as a part of that process in praying for people and in comforting people. God is the one who gets to choose. You know, I was, uh, I want to tell you a story of something that happened to me just before becoming your lead pastor. Uh, so for this story to make sense, you need to know that uh, we are living with a gracious family of encounter right now uh, in their house with them. Uh, they've so generously given us the bottom floor of their house. They live on the second floor, and we kind of do life together. Uh, and we feel so at home, uh, not only in our church family, but in this home. And we're so thankful for how God works. We basically brought with us all of our clothes for you know months ahead and some toys. and But everything else that we have is back in, in the house where we used to live in, in Tracy. Uh, all of our stuff is there. It's been a lesson for me. You really don't need your stuff uh, to, when, you, when you live life. But just before starting as your lead pastor, uh, there was a memorial I wanted to attend for the wife of a 
good friend and mentor of mine, a longtime mentor in my life in L.A. And so I thought, hey, we're going to be bringing all these carloads of stuff uh, down to the house where we're staying in Ventura. I think I'll bring a load with me ahead of time, drop it off in the, off in the house in Ventura, and then go to the memorial in L.A. So packed up my car. And, uh, our, my family was still back up in Tracy in Northern California. Drove down, stopped here, unloaded everything. Uh, the family whose house we're staying in wasn't even there that weekend, so just dropped everything, stayed the night here. And the next morning, I went to L.A. for this memorial. Now, I didn't gauge my time right because I wasn't ready for L.A. traffic, all right? You would think a guy coming from the Bay Area would understand L.A. traffic, but man, it was a lesson, all right? But I was almost late for the memorial, and I'm a pastor, so like I'm always the first one to a memorial because I'm usually leading them. I wasn't leading this one, but like my, every alarm in my body was going off because I didn't want to be late for this memorial. I got to the church, and there was no parking. There was no parking around the church, so I ended up parking like a few blocks away, go running into this service. It's about 10 minutes into the service already. It's Hat. And you could just sense God's presence as you walk in the room. So I just kind of snuck to the back row. There was only a couple seats left, and I sat in the very back row of this church. And it was just a wonderful celebration uh, for, my, for my friend's wife and just her life in the Lord. And after the service was over, I, I introduced myself to the pastor who had led the service, and we had never met each other, and we started talking. And I said, hey, I, I was just recently called to a church in Ventura. And he looks at me, and he goes, well, what church? I go, well, uh, Encounter. He goes, no way. Encounter? That's the only church that I know the name of in Ventura. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you know Encounter? And he says, well, there's a man in our church who I know really well, and he's really good friends with the former pastor before you, Pastor Brett. And just as he was beginning to talk to me about that, this man walks up who I had never met in my life, never face to face at least and he greets me he shakes my hand basically gives me this hug and says john it's so nice to meet you and i'm like i, I don't know you you know he's he's like talking to me and all of a sudden he begins to tell me this story he says you know i'm i'm friends with pastor brett and since that time when he needed to go with his family back to tennessee i've been praying for pastor brett for encounter church while the people are in transition for the next lead pastor of encounter and I've been praying every day for five months. And when your name was shared on the website of the church, I started praying for you by name. And so when you walked into the room and sat down at the back of the church, I knew exactly who you were, even though I've never met you before. And I want you to know I've been praying for you and your church family for the last five months. I hope that encourages you. People we don't even know have been praying for us as a church family. A man I had never met prayed for me before he even knew who I was and then prayed for me once he knew my name, for me and my role as the lead pastor of this church. God has people who are praying for us, and it tells me this, that God has and continues to have some amazing things ahead for us. As we give him our brokenness, as we give him our weights, as we give him our sins, as we give him our blessings, and we are that bowl in his hands that gets to be poured out as his presence is poured out of our lives. Now, one of the things that Paul says in this passage is that God loves to comfort the downcast. 
And because God loves to do that, so do we. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father God, uh, I thank you for a man and many others, Lord, who we will never know, who was praying for everyone in this room without meeting them and praying for me before having met me, Lord. I thank you for bringing our lives together if just only for a moment to give you glory for how you work. Father God, as a church family, we pray for Pastor Brett today. We pray your full and complete blessing over his life and over his family. God, we come to you as a church and just pray for your comfort for different people who are walking through different things. Lord, may we know that you work most powerfully in our weakness to your glory. And we thank you for your blessings as well. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for leading us and for being the God of all comfort today. Amen. We're going to share in communion right now as a church family. And if you're a follower of Christ, in a moment, we're going to invite you to come to one of the tables. There's a table there on the far side of the room, here and here and over there and back there. And receive the elements for communion, the bread and the juice to celebrate as a church family that Jesus Christ is coming back again and that we have life in him. 2 Corinthians 1.7 says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Communion is a time as a church family to celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive and he is coming back again. And when you take that bread, it's broken bread to symbolize that Christ's body was broken for you to make you whole in him by his grace. And when you drink that juice, it's a symbol that his blood was shed so that you through repentance and faith experience forgiveness from God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. If you need to come to the table today in repentance, need to give some things to the Lord, come and ask for forgiveness and meet the grace of Jesus Christ. If you come with a heart of celebration today and thanks, come with that heart. However God leads you, come to the table and celebrate who we are as God's family at Encounter. Just take the elements back to your chairs and uh, take them as you're ready. We're going to sing, our sin was great, but his love is greater. Come as you're ready.